Well, hello, my name is Rick, and I want to welcome you to the Hills family, whether you're in person at West Fort Worth campus, Keller campus, North Richmond Hills campus, or watching online. I'm looking forward this weekend to seeing many of you at our men's conference. So be praying about that. I've got a couple of other things I want you to pray about. Uh, so our mission as a church is to make and grow followers of Jesus, and we're pursuing a specific vision to ask for nations and generations. The very first goal on that vision in the next five years is to see over 1,800 people surrender to Christ and be baptized. Since that vision was lost in January of 2022, we've seen over 300 people make that decision. Well, on March the 19th, we're going to have another baptism Sunday. I want you to pray about that. I want you to think about who you might want to bring uh, that needs to be baptized. In fact, if you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to come talk to us soon. You'll never make a more life-changing decision than to publicly declare Jesus as your Lord and identify with his death and resurrection. So, there are people who are not following Jesus now, but they will be in a few months because of your prayers. So, be praying about baptism Sunday. And then, another thing I want you to pray about. As I've been doing a lot of study for this series on soul care, I've become convinced that one sign of a decline in our health of our souls has been decreasing mental health. The church does not talk enough about mental health, and that's about to change. So I'm preparing some sermons in the future, and I want you to help me by letting me know how you're doing. So you'll see a QR code. You have my permission right now to take out your phone, take a picture of this code, or go to thehills.org slash mental health survey. If you're taking notes on the church app, there's a link there that you can take. But it will take you less than one minute to do this survey. But the data you give me will help me know the subjects I need to talk about the most as we discuss mental health. So please do that with me. Because one thing I am convinced of, we are tired of our souls being so tired. And it's going to take more than a few sermons to deal with it. In fact, that's one reason we've created a resource page on our website. If you'll just go to our website and punch learn more, you'll see some of the resources we've gathered to help you pursue soul care, including some books I recommend that are on sale at the porch at all of our campuses that you might want to check out. Because we need to do something to take better care of our souls. And that reminds me then of some strange conversations I've had over the last couple of years with people who felt guilty and wanted to confess their guilt to me as their pastor. Now, if you're a pastor, people confess things they feel guilty about. But here's what was unusual. I've had a number of conversations with people who said, Pastor, I feel guilty for having pleasant memories of what my life was like during the pandemic. When the whole world slowed down, my physical and mental health improved. Some of my closest relationships got better because we spent more time together. My faith even got stronger. Now, nobody said the pandemic was a good thing. Everybody understands it was a season of great loss. Nobody said, I hope we go through another one. 
but they felt guilty while everyone else is thinking, when are we going to go back to the way things were? They said, Pastor, I'm thinking, do I want to go back to the way things were? And I think I understand. Because I will confess that I never want to live through a year like 2020 again at the same time. When the whole world shut down, my wife and I rediscovered the joy of taking long walks and just talking to each other. We rediscovered our joy of the game of tennis that we had given up almost 30 years. Of having long, unrushed meals because there was no place we had to hurry and get to. So in 2019, the Gallup organization released results of a survey that recorded the lowest levels of happiness in our country in their 70 plus years of researching well-being. It is not well with our souls. And throughout this series, I have contended, it's not just a season we are going through. We have normalized a way of doing life in the outer world that is proving toxic to our inner world. And one way we could do more to bless our souls is to do less. So two weeks ago, I asked you, are you ready to get well and do what it takes to care for your soul? Last week, I asked you, are you ready to be chill? And find some way to embrace God's Sabbath principle. And today I'm going to ask you, are you ready to get still? Because after months of reflecting and talking to people about their souls, I am convinced a soul cannot heal until it gets still. That we must listen to the Creator who said, be still and know that I am God. So in 1956, a U.S. Navy pilot named Thomas Atchers got into his F-11 Tiger jet off the coast of Long Island, flew out over the Atlantic, ascended to 20,000 feet, fired his four 20-millimeter cannons, 70 rounds in four seconds, descended to 13,000 feet. Something hit his plane, knocked out his left engine. Fortunately, he was able to crash land, escape his burning jet with only a few broken bones. He thought it was a big bird. He found out it was his own ammo. As he descended, he got ahead of what he fired and it hit him. The Navy said this is a one in a million chance. 1973, pilot Pete Purvis got into his F-14 Tomcat off the coast of California, fired a missile that wound up hitting his jet. It was a dummy missile, fortunately, but the Damage of the impact caused his pain to crash, and he had to eject to save himself. Just a few years ago, the same thing happened in the Netherlands. Now, get this. We are building fighter planes that go so fast, they put themselves at risk. Did I just describe your life? Would your soul appreciate it if you would go on a fast from going so fast? fast. In my lifetime, I think the greatest writer and thinker on the subject of discipleship is a man named Dallas Willard. He mentored a popular preacher named John Ortberg. 
who said, Dallas, I really do want to be more like Jesus, but I keep getting frustrated. What is the one thing I could concentrate on and begin to do that would help me be like Jesus? Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John said, that's a good idea. I need to slow down so I can do the one thing I need to do. What's that one thing? And Dallas said, no, John, that is the one thing. Do you want to be more like Jesus? You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Most of you have read one, if not all four, of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life. Can you think of one instance in the Gospels where Jesus was in a hurry? Where he ever said to anybody, I'm sorry, but I don't have time for you right now. My schedule is too crammed. Jesus lived unrushed on the outside because he lived unrushed on the inside. So I'll say it again. I am absolutely convinced after months of reflecting on how we could take better care of our souls that a soul cannot heal until it gets steel. Your life is the product of your lifestyle. And I believe there's still hope for your soul if you're willing to steal your soul. So here's the deal. I'll be honest. This will be the least popular of the four messages I give about soul care. Not because you're going to disagree with me, but because you're going to agree that what I'm going to suggest is going to be very, very hard to do. Here's the first thing we must do. Slow down the exhausting pace of our lives. The only solution for an unsustainable pace. Are you ready? This is profound and deep, so lean in. The only solution for an unsustainable pace is a sustainable pace. But we live in a culture that says if you're not busy, then you must not be important. In fact, in our current climate, the word slow has become a pejorative. The Wi-Fi around here is so slow. The service here is so slow. The traffic is so slow. We use the word slow now as a cuss word. We don't have time for slow because we have so many things we must do. We live with this constant sense of time famine. And yet, if you suggest to anybody, well, here's what you could do. You could slow down and eliminate some of those commitments in your schedule. They look at you like you asked them to take a vow of poverty. You see, God has given us two things that are precious that we must steward well, our money and our time. And here's what I know. None of you would counsel anybody to steward their money the way many of us steward our time. Think about you got young adult kids. They're making their budget. And you look at their budget and there's a file or a side over here with some money in it. What is that? Savings. We want some margin. Margin? You don't need savings. You need to spend every single dollar you get as soon as you get it. You would never tell anybody to steward their money. Like many of us are managing our time. I agree with Corey Tin Boom. She said, if the devil cannot make you sin, he will make you busy. And the price 
we pay for our full schedules is empty souls. By the way, that's why your vacation isn't working. You wonder the last few years, you go on vacation, you come back just as tired as when you left. As podcaster and author Carrie Newhoff says, time off will not fix the problem when the problem is the way you spend time on. You can't bust it and hustle for 50 weeks a year and then go to the beach for one week and think your soul's going to be well. But there's something lurking underneath that's even darker. I believe our exhausting pace of life indicates a lack of confidence in the sovereignty and the provision of God. That's what Jesus said in his most famous sermon. He said, I get it why pagans are always running. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What about tomorrow? I'm so afraid. I get it. They don't know God. But you do. You know that he takes care of lilies and he takes care of birds. So why do you run just as hard as pagans do? You see, if God is not on the throne... Or if God doesn't care about us, then you better get up early tomorrow and get after it. Because it all depends on you. But if we slow down and remember that God is great and God is good, then maybe we could slow down. Listen to the psalmist. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Now, why can't he let his soul rest in God? Keep reading. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He's my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. You hear what the psalmist is saying? My soul can rest because God is good, and my salvation and my honor depend on him. You see, the solution to an over-busy life is not more time. It is to slow down and to simplify your life around what you really believe about God. And for most of us, that is going to mean the hard but necessary task of doing some pruning. Because soul care cannot be squeezed into an already rushed life. Theologian N.T. Wright said, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. Now, I told you this would be hard. It's not complicated, but it's going to be hard to make courageous choices to slow down. But what if you tried it just for a month? What if you fasted just for one month from going so fast And see if your soul would thank you later. But if you think that's hard, buckle up. I got one more. We need to slow down the exhausting pace of our lives. And we need to turn down the noise that is wearing out our souls. The Gospels reveal that spending intentional time in silence and solitude was very important to Jesus. Jesus took his own soul care very important. And it says in Luke 5, for example, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Silence, solitude, time with God. These were important to Jesus. And by the way, if the Prince of Peace needed peace and quiet, 
Do you think that we don't? And because he was a good shepherd, he would lead his flock to quiet waters too. So, for example, after his disciples returned from one of their busy mission trips, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Silence is important because it creates space where we can just assess, how's my soul doing? But today, it is possible to live and never have to be without noise. In fact, it's normal. It is our favorite Christmas gift. I don't mean that judgmentally. I'm just being honest. How many of us for Christmas gave or received a gift that guaranteed we would never have to be anywhere without noise? So I have to do something as a pastor that for centuries pastors didn't have to do for their churches. For centuries pastors did not have to tell their churches, you need to find some quiet in your life. A big part of their life was quiet. But today, we have to make space for quiet. So let me state clearly what I think all the evidence is making very clear. Any successful pursuit of a healthy soul in this culture is going to require an intentional, disciplined, digital strategy. Obsession with technology, particularly our smartphones, is the new socially acceptable addiction. And I use that word on purpose. What is an addiction? An addiction is a compulsive behavior in the short term that is undermining your well-being in the long term. We have become addicted to technology, particularly our phones. They've done lots of studies. You're at a restaurant, you're having a really important conversation with a dear friend about something that matters. And then you get a vibration in your pocket. They have studied the chemical reactions in our bodies. We just got a dopamine hit. And it feels good. And it is almost impossible for us to not put that friend on hold while we check that phone. Because that dopamine hit felt good, and we want another one. And this is why we are touching our phones one to two million times a year. And our short-term compulsive behavior is to have any profound long-term impact on the health of our souls. Over and over, studies are showing that our obsession with screens has increased our levels of anxiety, depression, obesity, and loss of sleep. And we're only beginning to discover what it's doing to teenagers who've known no other world. They were born into it. The levels of anxiety experienced by teenagers are the highest ever recorded. And the spike in teenage anxiety can be charted to the year 2007, the release of the iPhone. The spike in the rise of young teenage girls struggling with body image issues can be correlated to 2011, the release of Instagram. Have you seen the Netflix documentary 
the social dilemma. You should see it if you have it. The people that create these technologies will not let their children use them because they know what they're doing. They are the tobacco industry of the 1950s. They know what they're selling is harmful, but they're not going to stop because it is so lucrative. And then it's what it's doing to our connectedness. You see, the lie is through social media, I am more connected than ever. We're actually spending less time in actual presence with other people than ever before. Robert Putman put it this way. We used to have friends. Now we watch them. Or we watch their curated presentation of themselves. And then what has the monetizing of hate and fear and anger done to our souls? I remind you, we are not the client of these products. We are the product. We're on sale. They are selling our attention. And they want us to stay on. And they know the way to keep us engaged the longest is to make us afraid or to make us angry. And isn't it interesting what it does to us? Here I am. I am hardly an expert on anything. But I have a phone and an app, so you need to know what I think about everything. (laughs) And the devil lives in the comment sections. The irony is, most of us agree that our phones and our social media platforms have turned into a problem, but we don't believe we can turn down the noise. Yes, we can. We own screens. They do not own us. But we're going to have to make some hard choices. So I thought, you know, it's not right for me to preach it if I'm not going to live it. So months ago, I said, well, what are you going to start doing? To create an intentional digital strategy. And I made several changes. I'll mention one I mentioned two weeks ago. I used to have a large Twitter following. I tried every day to post something I thought would be positive and encouraging. I've deleted my account. I did it for several reasons. Number one, in order to make money, the Twitter app kept putting people and uh, ideas on my app. I never asked to follow in the first place. Number two, there was just too much anger on that app. It wasn't good for my soul to read it every day. But I'm going to be really vulnerable right now and tell you another reason. So I would try to tweet something every morning that I hoped would be positive. I could not resist throughout the day checking to see if people liked it. And if more people liked it, I felt better about myself. And if fewer people liked it, I didn't feel as good about myself. Why should that matter? If something is true, why should it matter if it's popular? I did not like what looking at likes was doing to my soul. And so I deleted my account. I've got to tell you, six months later, I don't feel like I have missed a thing, and I've got a lot of time back. Now, I want to be real clear here. That's my strategy. I'm not telling you what yours needs to be. I'm not getting rid of my smartphone. Maybe I should, but honestly, I need that app on there with maps because I get lost without it. I like having Bible with me wherever I go. I'm simply saying, what are you going to do to steward technology in a way that's good for your soul? Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you are, 
then everything about your life comes under his lordship. And he is the filter by which you determine how you're going to do or use anything. Let me suggest a filter you might consider as you make your strategy. Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life minding your own business. How many apps would go out of business if more of us tried that? Please understand, though. The goal is at stillness. That is the means to the goal. The goal is for you to have a healthy soul. Why? Because your soul is where you commune with God. And God is a talker. He loves to commune. But when our souls are constantly inundated with noise, we lose the space and even the capacity to hear the voice of God. Charles Swindle, popular pastor and author, said there was a time in his life with young family that he was just very busy with his work. Lots of commitments, lots of appointments. It affected the way he was acting around his family. Easily angered, always frustrated, rushing through family meals, the first to get up from the table. He said one night his youngest daughter came and said, Daddy, I want to tell you something that happened at school today, and I promise I will tell you fast. And he said, Honey, you don't have to tell me fast. You can tell me slowly. And she said, well, then, Daddy, listen slowly. Do you want to connect to God? You're going to have to listen slowly. Maybe this story from the life of Jesus will help. Luke 10, as Jesus and the disciples continue on their way to Jerusalem... They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. Oh, by the way, she would not have used that word. That's a word the Holy Spirit chose. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits Here, while I do all the work, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Could it be that so much of what you call being busy, Jesus might call being distracted? What you give your attention to determines the health of your soul. And Jesus said there's only one thing you must absolutely prioritize to give attention to. And here's the thing. I believe most of you really love God. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to me right now, wherever you are. You really do love God. But that doesn't mean you necessarily prioritize Making time for God. And do you notice in the Bible nobody runs with God? A lot of people walk with God. But nobody runs with God. Because God will not squeeze into your schedule. 
Now, here's what you know about anybody you really love and want to connect with. Here's what you know. Attention requires intention. To give somebody your full attention, you have to want to, you have to mean to, you have to plan to. The biggest obstacle to the life you have and the life you want is the lifestyle you're living. So what can you do, or maybe I should say, what can you stop doing? To live each day more fully aware of God. To hear God say, be still and know who I am. What if you took a fast from going so fast? I think your soul would thank you. I bet your family and neighbors would too. So here's what we're going to do. I usually close by praying over you. This time I've written the prayer I want you to pray. It goes like this. Dear God, help me to live slowly and quietly enough to experience you fully and love others deeply. Please still my soul. You don't have to use those words, but I would like you to pray some version of that prayer. And if the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart, why don't you tell God what you are going to actually change so that this prayer can get answered. Let's get quiet for just a moment. And you can talk to God. Oh, God, we confess we need some help. For some of us, even just spending one minute without noise was hard. But we want to be healthier. We want communion with you to be normal and not rare. So give us the courage to do the things we have to do to take care of our soul. We're going to take Jesus at his word. He said he would give us rest for our souls if we would take his yoke. If we would let him teach us how to live. So teach us, Jesus. We're tired of being tired. We pray in your name. Amen.